Thanks, Rick. Everybody can hear me all right? We're good? Awesome. Well, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here-ish, however here that um, is. Uh, my name is Marcus. I'm the uh, pastor of student ministries and local mission at um, Colossae Tiger. Um, I actually got my start in the Colossae family as the worship director in Colossae Sherwood. So there's a lot of you that, um, that I know. And uh, so grateful to be back and see some familiar faces. Um, I am married. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I have been married for almost eight years. And we have two little girls, um, Penelope and Emmeline. Penelope is uh, five and Emmeline is two. And so um, this stay at home season has been pretty interesting just in terms of keeping them occupied and, um, not having the typical breaks of, uh, play dates and seeing friends and all of that. Um, now you guys are going through, uh, the book of Acts. So we're going to go through, um, chapter 14 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 14, um, and the book of Acts is, uh, as you guys have probably been talking about, but it's written by Luke, by the same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And as you've been working through the book, you've probably noticed that Luke will sometimes go into uh, great detail on certain things, and then other things, he'll just kind of brush past this big swath of time uh, or some sort of experience. You'll get like a paragraph about one small event and then you'll get like a sentence that's like, and then they were there for two years. And so you kind of have this, um, this inconsistent momentum through the book. And the, the reason that Luke is writing it in that way is that with each story, with each um, portion that's become real detailed, there's a reason that he's sharing it. There's some sort of theme, there's some sort of understanding um, as we're watching the, the church grow, Luke is giving us these pieces that are um, showing us more about the church, about God, about ourselves, about whatever it is. And so um, one of the things that Luke is not trying to do is he's not trying to write all of history. It's not a history textbook where each, um, each thing that happens is written out in detail um, and there's in all about 30 years. And so a ton of things are going to happen in that 30 years. And the book of Acts would be much, much longer if he was going to write all that everything happened. Um, another thing with the book of Acts that's super helpful, as we're going to look at today's chapter, is that the book of Acts is not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. So in the book of Acts, it's describing what the church is doing, how it's growing, different situations in different cities. And as that's happening, it's, there's something for us to learn and gain from each of that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're supposed to literally repeat that. And we'll see that today in today's chapter, that there's things that happen that we're like, yeah, we don't want that to happen. Um, now, currently, with everybody in homes and um, Stay, you know, not gathering. People are barely going to the grocery store. All that kind of stuff. There's uh, part of like what we're going through right now can feel like um, can feel like the Book of Acts, where we are meeting in homes. But it's not the goal. And we even see throughout um, the book they're gathering in homes, but they're also meeting in the temple to worship. And so there's a both and. And so um, 
this time, even though we probably mirror a lot of what's happening in the book of, uh, especially at the beginning of the book of Acts, it also is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think that's just felt like uh, my wife and I lead a community group in our home uh, and we meet Wednesday nights. And um, we also, uh, over the first couple months of this year, had people consistently over on uh, every week on Monday nights. And so it's been this huge whiplash of having a bunch of people over and opening up our home to just us. And that feels really weird. And I'm sure a lot of you are experiencing that, especially those of you who have ever like hosted people over in your home to not be able to do that almost feels like we're not using our homes like we're supposed to. Um, and, and we had, uh, with our community group, we've been having a zoom call once a week just to kind of check in with everybody. And this last Wednesday night, um, we, we have some, some families with young kids. So we just meet spouses one at a time and we, the guys were together and typically and I don't want to overgeneralize, but typically it takes guys a bit more to share how they're feeling, right? And But this Wednesday, almost every one of the dudes was like, I just miss being around you guys. Like I miss being in community. And I'm sure that's felt a lot um, throughout uh, all of your homes and in all of everyone's situation. Um, it can feel like this just isn't how it's supposed to be. And so as we read through the book of Acts, um, it's important to remember that, that there's things that happen because they have to like this. And then there's things that, uh, are, um, are also happening at the same time, like them gathering in the temple. And so as we read through this, remember, this is descriptive, describing what happened, not prescriptive, not what we should do. All right. So we're going to start. Um, so look at Acts chapter 14, verse one. Uh, and it says this verse one says now at Iconium, they, and pause right there, just those first four words, because in order for us to jump into chapter 14, we kind of have to understand why are they at Iconium and who is the, they that they're talking about now. So as a refresher, chapter 13 ended with, um, Paul and Barnabas, and they were, they're on this missionary journey, moving out, um, and starting churches and preaching the gospel and doing what they left to do. And there are some people as they're doing this that don't like what they're saying, don't agree, think that they're causing problems. And so at the end of chapter 13, they're driven out from the city that they were in. And now they're in Iconium and they're going to try again. Uh, and so that's who they is. It's Paul and Barnabas and they are in Iconium because they had people that were uh, opposed to them, chasing them out of the city that they were in. So let's finish that verse. So uh, chapter 14, verse one, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now the, the works of Jesus, right? As, but prior to um, this expansion in the church of Acts, the works of Jesus uh, and, and everything was just within Judaism, within the Jewish community, and now it's moving out into uh, the Gentiles. And so um, the message that they're preaching is going to be specific to who they're talking to. So when they're in the Jewish synagogue, Paul is going to speak about how Jesus um, is the completion of all of Jewish law and the law and the prophets. And then when they're speaking to Gentiles, and we'll see this in this chapter, the message is a little different. Now, 
it's working for some people. Some people are hearing the message and are like, yes, I want to follow this Jesus. I'm on board. And then it's not for others. And we see that here in verse two. Look at verse two. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So again, we see a consistent thing happening in each town. And this was represented in chapter 13. There are some people that are hearing the message and then there are others that are opposed. And the others that are opposed to what they're preaching, not only are just like, I don't believe that, I don't want that, but they actually go on the offensive. And they go, you can't be saying these things. And so um, at Iconium, what happens right after they get there and they start preaching is that um, the people that are opposed plan on stoning and killing Paul and Barnabas. They make plans to. And Paul and Barnabas get words of what they're going to do. And so they flee. They leave Iconium. And then they come to a town called Lystra. And uh, while Paul is speaking, so they get to Lystra, he sees this crippled man. and. Paul, for whatever reason, the text doesn't tell us. This is one of those moments where Luke like doesn't include a whole lot of detail, but Paul looks at him and for whatever reason, sees something special. He's worthy of being healed. He heals him. And it's uh, done in a lot of the same fashion that a lot of healings in the book of Acts are done. He basically just looks at him and says, get up. And he does. Uh, and he's healed, which is awesome. This amazing thing, right? That they get thrown, they they run out of Iconium because they were going to be killed. And then they get to Lystra and there's this miracle that happens. This man is healed. And the people in town in Lystra that see Paul and Barnabas do this healing, uh, worship many gods. They were polytheists. And so they look at this thing that happens and they s declare that Paul and Barnabas must be other they're some of their gods who have appeared to them as men. They look at Paul and they go, that he's the God Hermes. And they look at Barnabas and they go, he's the God Zeus. So the people in Lystra start making these worshipful sacrifices to them, which is obviously not good. So Paul and Barnabas hear about this. They rush out to the crowd and they try to reason with them. And look at verse 15 of chapter uh, 14. Paul and Barnabas here, like they're making these worship sacrifices to you. They think you're gods. And this is what Paul says. Acts uh, chapter 14, verse 15 says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. So he's like, we're not gods. That's not it. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So that's Paul's response to them worshiping him. And one thing to point out in Paul's response is Paul points to the provision in their lives. Despite them being uh, historically on the outside of Yahweh's blessing, of the Jewish God's blessing, he's saying you actually were being blessed by God. 
that, that they've been witness to God through his provision of food and nourishment, and that they've been in receipt of God's blessing without even knowing it, which is really important for Paul to not say, look, this is the culmination of everything you believe as Jews because they're not Jews. So he says, this experience that you've had as people has actually been God's blessing. So he, he tailors what he's saying to this group. But Paul's words fall on deaf ears and they don't listen. And then this happens, uh, skip down it to uh, verse 19. So Acts 14, verse 19, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, these cities that Paul was at. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Talk about persecution, right? Like he, all these people have caught up and they try to kill him. By proclaiming the gospel, Paul is persecuted. And not just that they try to kill him, but then they drag him out of the city, which would have been typical, right? With the body, you wouldn't have just left it there. But this Paul who's still alive is drugged through dirt and rocks. I mean, we've all had tough weeks, right? We've had rough weeks, but come on, that's intense. But Paul, thankfully, is not dead. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul, Barnabas, the other disciples, the other brothers and sisters in the faith, when they're faced with persecution, they got up, they moved on to the next city, they continued to preach the gospel and start churches and do what they set out to do. And the encouragement at the end of it is, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's the response to almost dying. Now, the rest of the chapter gives us uh, just this summary about their journey back to Antioch and them traveling back through the cities and heading back to where they had started. And verse 27, look at verse 27, gives us a summary of their missionary experience. Verse 27 says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, so they get back to where they started, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So when faced with adversity and being chased out of towns, being persecuted to the point of death, the takeaway was, wow, God really opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Probably wouldn't be my response, right? So there's the text. So that's the story as it flows through chapter 14. So what does this mean for us as we're reading it? Like what's the takeaway because it's easy to look at Paul's experience and go, yeah, that's not my experience. Or to look at it and go, wow, Paul is so amazing. He was just almost killed and he got up and he did it. Isn't that awesome? And then for us to feel guilt, like, okay, your faith needs to be stronger. You need to work harder and you need to just suck it up and be a better Christian, right? 
That's, that's not what Luke is trying to communicate here. And so I want us to look at two points. The first one is this. Our focus should be vertical or our focus should be upward. We have this tendency as people, as humanity, to be very focused on ourselves. And when we're not focused on ourselves, we're focused on people in general, right? Just watch the news. It's you, what, is, what are people going through? What's the experience for all of us? And when it comes to evaluating or uh, thinking about an experience or a situation, we tend to say or think things like, I feel like, or my perspective is, or what we're going through, or what I'm going through. We think about ourselves, right? Now, in chapter 14, what we just kind of walked through, when Paul heals the man in Lystra, right? When they get there, he heals the man. And then all the people start to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. Paul's response is, don't look at us. We're just men. Look at God. Even though Paul was the one who had looked and had done all of the things that they witnessed, which is why they think he'd healed him. Paul says, it wasn't me. It was God working through me. And when Paul and Barnabas get back and Luke gives us this summary of their experience, it would be easy for it just to be about themselves. Like if Paul and Barnabas got back and they were like, let me tell you what we did and what happened to us and how this was so incredible and they don't, they don't say those things. They, they, they say, let's focus on what God did, what God did through us. And that's having this upward vertical mindset of this is God working through us. And we see that in, in, at the end when in verse 27, it says they declared all that God had done with them, not all that they had done for the church, what God had done with them. And it made me think of um, my wife and I, when we uh, went through premarital counseling before we got married, um, we, we went through premarital counseling with friends of ours, um, this couple. And the husband, uh, during a couple of our meetings, kept saying things like, I really get excited when my wife and I will get in a, like, we'll get in a fight. And then right when we're out of the fight, I'll get excited. And I remember thinking, that's a lie. It has to be. There's no way you're excited after you get out of a fight. Like you, you feel terrible, right? And that proved to be true. I got, uh, Ashley and I got married and within that first year, we fought a lot trying to figure out how to live together. And I, we would get into a fight and when we were done, I would call that friend, uh, the husband of the couple that gave us counseling. And I would call him and go, look, this just happened. I'd explain to him what the fight was about and who said what and how it finally resolved and uh, just wanting to vent to him and be like, is this normal? Is this normal married life? And uh, his response, especially during that first year, would be like, that's awesome. That's exciting, isn't it? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? No, it's not exciting. I feel horrible. There, it's usually my fault anyway. Like, why, what is there to be excited about? But what was true was that my friend knew that the fight was important. He knew that the fight, even though it was about each of us individually and what we said and what we did, it was actually for our marriage. He knew that with each fight, there was something important to be learned. 
we would learn a better way to communicate because of what had been said. We would learn not to use words like always or never because those are unhelpful to a conversation. My friend knew that it was through our fighting that we would learn more about each other, we would learn more about our values, and ultimately through these arguments and figuring out a resolve to them that we would learn how to love each other better. These were learning moments. And I think for us, if we're going to be vertical, upward focused and paying attention to what God's doing, the challenge for us is when we are in some sort of situation, when we're in some sort of season of life to ask, what is God doing in this? What is God trying to show me? What is God teaching me? What in this season of life or in this situation, what is God revealing to me? I think that's what it means for us to be vertical or to be upward focused is for us to go, not what is this about, but what is this for? What is this for? And to be doing that, whether things are going well for us or they're not going well, we ask the same question in both situations, which leads me to my second point, which is this, God is faithful regardless of our current circumstances that God has a mission and that it will happen. Paul is brought to the point of death. And I don't know how your last two weeks have been, but for me, I've been discouraged. Like pastoring from a screen was not what I signed up for and was not what I thought life would be like right now. But it is way better than angry mobs of people trying to kill me. And the moment that I start to think that God's work in people's lives stops because of this, because of stay home, because of quarantining, the moment I start to think that God's work in people's lives stops because of this is the moment I forget about God's faithfulness, that the Holy Spirit's work does continue, that God is with us, that God is for us, that our faith perseveres through the situation. And I was thinking about this when I was with, uh, we were, I was talking to my dad and he uh, is an elder at the church that they're a part of. And um, one of the things that he said just about church at large right now is that the church has to figure out how to continue to be a church. Like pastors are figuring out how to do stuff like this or, um, or re or pre-recorded videos or whatever it is. And he was like, I hope that no one, like that no one's faith was right on the edge and this is going to set it over, but that we know that God is continuing to work and is continuing to do what he's doing in the lives of others, regardless of this situation. And there are other things, right? There's other things that can happen in our lives where we can lose sight of God's faithfulness. For Paul and Barnabas, it was persecution right? These people coming after him. But for us, it might be something different. It might be the loss of a job. It might be the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's some sort of diagnosis that we're trying to comprehend still. Maybe it's financial hardship, whatever it is, those things can cause us to lose sight of God's faithfulness. But 
the truth is our circumstances don't dictate how God feels towards us or who he is. And in the book of Acts, as we're watching the church growing, the message is for uh, Gentiles now. It's for people outside of the Jewish community. And as Paul to that church uh, to the uh, or to the people in Lystra when they're worshiping him, Paul explains, "Look, we're not gods." But then he says, "In the past, God allowed other nations to walk their own ways, and even then, God was showing you His blessing through the rain and through food and through provision." Paul is saying to them, "God was providing for you even when you weren't aware of it." Even when you were at odds with him, God was blessing you. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because the same is true for us. In our transgressions, while our hearts were opposed to God, Christ saves us. Christ's work was before us and was for us. Before we were aware of what Jesus did, Christ's work on the cross through his death and resurrection was for us. And the entirety of God's faithfulness can be found in Jesus, in the grace provided through Christ, which is freely offered to us. If our salvation and our forgiveness of sin was dependent upon us, it would be real rough. But God is faithful through Christ to forgive, to save, and to bring us into the kingdom and that our circumstances are just that they're just circumstances it doesn't mean they're not hard but they will pass they're not forever like god and his love and his forgiveness and his grace is forever and we know that just like god's mission as we see through the book of acts in growing the church that god's mission will happen God's mission to restore all things through Jesus will also happen. He is faithful now and into eternity. So, may we as the people of God set our focus on God's active hand in the world and God's active hand in our lives. May we see the highs and lows of life as moments to learn more about who God is and how God feels about us. And may we rest in God's faithfulness that doesn't change because of us or our circumstances. And may we see this season, whatever circumstance we're in, may we see it as a plot point, as a moment of God's entire story of redemption. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for this account of uh, your hand at work, that we get to see you using people and using situations to grow your church, God. That it is about them, but ultimately, God, it is for your glory. And you declare the same is true for us, that what we are experiencing, what we are going through is for your glory. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for your son, the life that we have in Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we are brought into this life with you where we have your blessing. We have you with us and for us. And in a time like this, God, that's a truth that we have to stake our lives on.
that you are faithful. You are faithful to the end, God. We thank you for this time in your word and this time together. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.